Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're praying for a people group. We're praying for a local church. We're praying for how we spend these next few minutes. Lord, we uh, this morning want to continue our time in worship uh, with bringing some specific petitions before you. Lord, we want to, I want to first of all pray for a people group, the um, uh, Arab-speaking Moroccans, 24 million strong, 0.09% of which are Christians. Lord, this is a, uh, it, it's hard to imagine bringing something so large uh, before you in prayer, but then we're remembering who we're bringing it to. And Lord, we're bringing a tremendous request before you, knowing that you can draw all peoples to your name and to yourself, Lord. We ask you to do this with this people group. We ask you to, um, those workers that are working with Arab-speaking Moroccans, Lord, we ask you to give them endurance. We ask you to fuel them with worship. Lord, we ask you to through them uh, foster a potent kingdom expanding kingdom growing ministry Lord we pray that you would give them uh, uh, just endurance as they serve and they're going through the daily routines of trying to push back at darkness Lord we pray that you would break open the darkness that you would soften the hearts of Arab speaking Moroccans toward the good news of Christ crucified and risen Lord, we are bringing this tremendous request before you, uh, thankful that you are capable, and we ask you to do this for your name's sake. Lord, we also want to pray for a local church. We want to pray for FBC Greenville, uh, Roy Youngblood, the pastor. Lord, we are thankful for the long ministry in First Baptist Church in Greenville and folks that are even part of us right now that grew up under the ministry in, of, of First Baptist Church in Greenville. And we're thankful for the chance to bring them before you this morning. And Lord, we ask you to bless them. Uh, as they are considering, uh, I think, uh, planning to sell their property and, and move their location, Lord, we pray that that will be uh, uh, a decision that you will bless. I pray that you would, uh, that they would flourish in a relocation. And Lord, we pray that ultimately that, that, that they would fulfill the mandate that's been given to them to make disciples uh, wherever you plant them. Lord, we are thankful for uh, the opportunity to lift them up this morning, and we just pray that you would bless them. Lord, also this morning I want to pray a real specific prayer for the families among us that are uh, fostering and uh, fostering to adopt or have adopted uh, foster uh, children. Lord, what a, what a, what a wonderfully beautiful uh, application of the gospel at work, Lord. And it, it is, it is uh, it's beautiful and at the same time it is um, so challenging for these families that are taking on uh, really, really um, uh, unimaginable challenges. Lord, we pray that you would sustain them, that you would fuel them with worship. Lord, we pray that the gospel that they walk in would be the gospel that they are fed with and nourished by as they serve children that are fatherless and homeless, at least for a moment, but possibly until they're adopted. Lord, we pray that the people of God would come around those families that are stepping out in harm's way and uh, pushing back at darkness and taking on these wonderful uh, challenges of uh, pure and undefiled religion of caring for the fatherless. Uh, Lord, we pray that the people of God would surround these families and, and uh, empower them and, and encourage them and help them in the work and that as you lead us that we would participate in the work ourselves. And Lord, ultimately we pray for your kingdom to be done in the hearts of these littles that we have for a season or for a lifetime. Lord, they are yours, and we ask you to bless them through the opportunity that we have to walk with them. 
We're entrusting these families and entrusting these little ones to you. Lastly, Lord, we are entrusting these few minutes to you and asking you to speak to us. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Leadership has been an interest of mine since I was in college. Um, I went to school at Texas A&M and found myself pretty early on uh, thrust into positions where I was uh, expected to lead my peers. I don't know if there's anything more challenging, a brand new green leader leading peers. Peers are very, very difficult, especially in your age group, very difficult to lead. Uh, but it was, it's always been a, a study for me. It's something that's always been interesting to me. Leadership, I think, is a, a valuable um, conversation, an important topic. Here's just a few uh, quotes that uh, have been memorable to me over the years. John Maxwell is sort of the guru on leadership. If you read leadership books or you look for leadership books, John Maxwell will come up. Here's a quote from him. Leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another. That's good. Stirring. Those sorts of thoughts are stirring for me. Here's another one. The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change, and the leader adjusts the sails. Man, that's good, and it's stirring. I just, I just appreciate those sort of uh, ideas and thoughts. Uh, here's, here's one from an ancient... Um, uh, contemporary, actually, of our Lord, P- uh, Publilius Cyrus. You have to be careful saying that guy. Publilius or Publilius Cyrus. Uh, he said, anyone can hold the helm when the sea is calm. That's good, isn't it? There's an ancient proverb that's similar to that that says, fair seas do not a good sailor make. Isn't that great? Fair seas do not a good sailor make. The real test of leadership is rough seas. In my experience with leadership, I've served under some very disappointing leaders. Uh, in the Marine Corps, um, in church settings, I've been disappointed with leaders. Growing up in a home with a human father, my father was human. I don't know about yours, but mine was, was human, and at times it was disappointing. I, I've served under disappointing leaders, and I've been a disappointing leader. There may be, as we sit here this morning, the reality that I'm a disappointing leader at this very moment. Man, it is a very real issue that we deal with today. We're not just talking about me either. We're talking about pretty much everybody in this room. I think I was kind of reflecting on leadership. I think it should be interesting to all of us to some degree because leadership is or will be your responsibility at some point in life. Some measure of leader, some measure of leadership. So today's sermon, I think, will help equip current and future leaders to lead well. Okay, but that's the least of what will happen this morning. I think the most important thing that will happen collectively for us this morning is together we will have the chance to enjoy the ultimate leader, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a good shepherd, or not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Lord, speak to us through these words. Equip us to lead well as we have opportunity, but more importantly, Lord, stir us with worship as we enjoy our Lord and Savior, the Good Shepherd. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all have a seat. My plan for the morning, I like to have a little uh, audible map. It helps me listen when I'm in your spot, when I have an idea where someone's going. So my plan for the morning is to just deal with a few key words, just three or four of them, and then deal with the structure of this passage that I just read. And then I'm going to be referring to two different passages. If you'd like to kind of have those ready, uh, I'd like for you to look at them this morning. I think seeing the text, seeing the actual Word of God, living Word of God, it does something to you. So if you're able, I'd like for you to be ready to turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter 34. And the other is John chapter 9. John chapter 9 would be easy because you're right here beside it. Ezekiel chapter 34 and John chapter 9. Let's deal with key words first. I am the good shepherd. I am. I am is a declaration of godness. It is no less and it is absolutely a declaration of godness. Jesus makes seven of these I am statements over the course of the book of John. Seven times he declares essentially, I am God. This is the fourth of those seven in the book of John where he declares, I am the good shepherd. His declarations are made at such opportune moments. Just the ones we've considered this, this, this series, during this Lent series already. As he feeds the multitudes, he declares, I am the bread, the living bread. Last week we considered he's at, it's at the, the Feast of Booths and Tabernacles. He says, I am the light of the world. And here he's at another festival, in this case the feast or the festival of Hanukkah, the only reference in our Bibles to this contemporary festival. It's really an intertestamental uh, festival. And you can look over there in chapter 10, verse 32, to see that singular reference to this festival at the feast of Hanukkah that he declares, I am the good shepherd. So let's talk about good. Good is a word that you might use for a burger. Now, I've never had a Terry's burger. I've lived in Greenville 18 years now. I've never had a Terry's burger. I know it's criminal, isn't it? Some of y'all are like, man, Terry's burgers are the best. Um, I've never had a Terry's burger. Uh, I, I bet they're good, but have you, if, if you've had them, you might declare, I see some heads nodding, those are good burgers. I've had a, a burger, uh, I, don't, I don't go out to eat a lot, but I've had a burger at Bottle Cap. I was left a little unsatisfied. I know some of you are bottle cap groupies. But it, it just looked great, but it just didn't have the flavor I was expecting. I wouldn't have called it good, but some of you might call a bottle cap burger good. You might call a burger good. It might be the word you'd use. It might be the word you'd use for a car. This is a good car. This thing keeps running. I have to go to the mechanic so seldom. I just put gas in it, change the oil, and it keeps running. This is a good car. It might be the, the word we'd use for a song. Man, this is a good song. Like when you're in high school where you play a song over and over and over and over and over and over again. When I was in high school, we had cassette tapes, and I had a Zuzu pickup, and Thriller, Michael Jackson, came out. And I wore that cassette out, playing it over and over. These are good songs. It might be a word you'd use about. 
songs. It's not usually the word we'd use for something truly amazing. If you'd consider, even in the introduction up above, I said we were going to consider the ultimate leader. I used a word that's a little more potent in our context than just simply good. It's a word that was used earlier in the book of John at the first miracle where he changed the water to wine. It's a word that described that wine. The Greek word is the word kalos, and it doesn't mean tasty either. The word actually means, or let me, say what the, let me point out what the word doesn't mean first. And this, this might be a little challenging. It might take some ex- explanation from parents to children, because I know this is a common word that we use with our children. It doesn't mean that Jesus was nice. Okay, to say he's the good shepherd does not mean he's the nice shepherd. Because Jesus really wasn't nice. Jesus said hard things to people that oftentimes resulted in divisions among them. It's a thematic phrase in the book of John. There was a division among them. Jesus preached a sermon and there's a division among them. Or they wanted to stone him. He wasn't nice in avoiding hard topics. He was good though. Good and nice are not the same thing. The word kalos, good, means noble. The word also means beautiful. The word means the model of perfection. And really, you could consider that the word actually means singular in perfection. In the Greek, in the original passage here in John chapter 10, in the original Greek, there is no definite article, the. But our translators fittingly, appropriately, put that definite article here in the translation. I am the good, the singular good shepherd. Because contextually, that's what that word means. He's singular in perfection. Singular in beauty. Singular in nobility. And specifically, he is the good shepherd. This third word I really, or this third little phrase or or, or word, in this case I want to consider is the word shepherd. Shepherd's not the term that we use very often when we're thinking of leadership, but that's simply what it would have meant in that context. The shepherds of Israel had been judges, kings, priests, and if there was language used about a shepherd, they would have thought, unless they're talking about a shepherd leading sheep right in front of them, leadership. So in some ways, it's shorthand for leadership. At the time of the declaration that he made at this Feast of Hanukkah, where he's declaring, I am the good shepherd, The shepherds of Israel would have been the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders in the synagogue. Okay, we're going to see them later this morning. Okay, let me see if I can give you kind of a a handy, usable translation for the morning. Just based on the little word explanation that we've had so far. I am God is what he declares. I am God, the noble, beautiful, perfect, and singular leader. I'm going to say that again because I want us to have that right here, just right here in front of us as we continue. I am God is what he's declared. The noble and beautiful and singular leader. Okay, let's talk structure. It's helpful, to, I think, to have a lay of the passage this morning. I think it's going to give you kind of a guide for where we're going in our sermon. Uh, the, the structure, I want to illustrate with something handy as a sandwich. Okay, we're talking about food a lot this morning. I didn't really plan that, but I, I think that's the way it's unfolding. Then, and, and the way this passage lays out, let me give you sort of an, an um, uh, audible description. I'll show you how it connects to our sandwich. Go ahead, Lane, put our, 
our handy dandy sandwich up there. It looks good, doesn't it? It's actually a spam sandwich. So unless you're like a spam junkie, like I, I don't know about you, but I don't eat spam. I mean, I nothing. I mean, tuna is about as close as I come to anything from a can. But spam, I mean, what even is it? Is it a creature? What's it made from? It's like a, if you eat spam, just keep it to yourself. I don't want to know it. <laughs> if you're for spam, let's for the morning together be against spam because it'll be handy. You'll under, you'll appreciate why the spam. Now the egg is okay. But the spam is a no-go, and you'll understand why this morning I've chosen spam. The layout or the structure of this passage is really like a sandwich, okay? The bread, I'm going to show you, is on top and bottom, and then the, the spam, in this case, is in the middle. So let me show you where the bread is in this passage in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. The first piece of bread is John chapter 10, verse 11. And that first piece of bread is the declaration, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, that's piece of bread number one on top. The bottom piece of bread is in verses 14 and 15. It's going to sound very familiar and very similar because the piece of bread is very similar to the one above it. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Okay, sounds similar. You could call them bookends. If you don't want a, a, a food illustration, you could call them bookends, and we're going to deal with the majority of our time. Well, we'll deal with both the, the ends and the middle this morning. We're going to deal with both the bread and the spam in the next few minutes. So let's deal with the spam. The spam we might call the anti-shepherd. Okay, this morning we're considering the good shepherd. But in some ways, we have to consider the anti-shepherd. So let's read verses 12 and 13. That's our, our piece of meat here in this sandwich that we're going to deal with in the next few minutes. And we're going to see why, maybe why I chose that piece of meat. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Okay, I drew out three things from those couple of verses. Three things that are characteristic of the not good shepherd, the anti-shepherd. First of all, he does not own the sheep. There's no responsibility to them or responsibility for them. Secondly, he flees in the face of danger. His life is more valuable than the lives of the flock and the sheep. And third... He ultimately cares nothing for the sheep. We might say if we just needed a summary statement about this type of shepherd or the anti-shepherd or the not good shepherd, this is a weak sauce shepherd. Weak sauce. That's a word, the phrase that we use around our house for something that's just weak. It sounds like weak sauce. You should like that term. I don't see anybody really enjoying that. That's a good term. Weak sauce. This is a weak sauce shepherd and the sheep are in trouble. I'll share a little story with you from 2005. Actually, I shared this story in 2006 when I preached the Good Shepherd series many years ago, 10, 12, whatever, 13 years ago. I don't know how many is that is at this point. Listen to this story. 450 Turkish sheep leaped to their deaths. This happened in 2005. First one sheep jumped to its death, then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast. Okay, they're sitting around having a little breathy. 
watched as nearly 1,500 sheep followed the first ones that jumped, each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile, the newspaper said. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. There's nothing we can do. They're all wasted, said one member of the 26 families whose sheep were grazing together in the herd. And this person was quoted as saying, they're all wasted. There's nothing we can do. That's a story, story about weak saw shepherding right there. And the danger of one sheep going over a cliff and another 1,499 following them. It's tragic. It's tragic. Jesus developed here in this passage the not good shepherd, the anti-shepherd. And that's been the story of Israel since Exodus chapter 34. I asked you to have that handy. I'd like for you to turn there if you would. I, didn't say, I just said Exodus. I meant to say Ezekiel. I hope I didn't say Exodus earlier because you'll be in the wrong book. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Let me give you a little context as you're turning there. Ezekiel, we're going to parachute into a book, and I don't want you to parachute unknowing, uh, not knowing what we're jumping into. This is a, 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 Ezekiel is a, con, a contemporary of Daniel. Okay, this is uh, like during the Babylonian exiles. Okay. Israel has already gone into exile into Assyria, and this is at the time of the Babylonian exiles. And this passage is a passage, uh, really in some ways, uh, that's an indictment against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. It's the passage that the Boggs read this morning, okay, fittingly. All right, so here it is, beginning in chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Weak sauce, shepherds. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Man, it sounds like those Turkish shepherds, right? Having a little breakfast. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Just draw out a few things that come out of that passage. You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves. You feed yourselves. The weak are not strengthened. The sick are not healed. The injured are not bound up. The strays are not brought back. The lost are not sought. And you rule with force and harshness. These are not good shepherds. And the result is they're scattered all over the empire. What would later become the Roman Empire. The result in the north is Israel is scattered into Assyria through the exile. And the result here is in the south in Judah, they're scattered into Babylon. And what later would be what they call the diaspora. There'd be a name for Jews scattered all over the Roman Empire due to poor shepherding, due to not good shepherds. I thought I would give a little survey of just a few of these. 
some of the more graphic ones. I thought about where to begin. I don't want to tell the whole story of poor shepherding because we'd have to start with Adam. And we do have time constraints this morning. We have child care going on over there. We have folks that might kill us if we spent too much time in this. So let's just, uh, just tackle a few of the most graphic. One that comes to mind is in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. And you can just listen to these passages. They're brief, but they're stories of worthless shepherds. And that's the heading here in this passage, Eli's Worthless Sons. You might know the story of Eli during the time of Samuel. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Poor shepherds. Weak sauce shepherds. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. You may not realize it, but that's how the priest ate. The priest ate a portion of the offerings. Okay, that's appropriate. All priests did that. That was a provision that the Lord made. Okay, but this is, listen to what these sons of Eli do. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Before the fat was burned in the boiling process, the priest's servant would come and say to the men who, was sacrifi- who, who were sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw, because he wants the fatty portions. See, the fatty portions go to the Lord. The fatty portions are boiled and they sublimate and they go into the aroma and presence of the Lord. But not for the sons of Eli, not for these poor shepherds that we want the fatty portions for ourselves. If the man said to them, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men, the sons of Eli, the shepherds, the poor shepherds, the weak sauce shepherds of Israel was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Man, that's not all they were up to. Down in verse 22, it says, When Eli was very old, he kept hearing that all his sons, uh, he heard all that his sons that were doing to Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. These guys were a mess. Man, they're a visual of eating the fat taking the portions not due for them, clothing themselves, feeding themselves, not strengthening the weak, not healing the sick, not doing what good shepherds do. They're one of the most graphic that come to mind during the time of the judges. Maybe things were different during the time of the kings. Okay, during the time of the judges, maybe that was just a one-off. Maybe during the time of the kings, things were better. And maybe we can just think about good old King David, who was actually a shepherd made king. Maybe King David would be the model shepherd king that we could actually consider as, man, this is a good shepherd. But then we have to remember the story of what David did one day when he should have been out in battle. He lusted after a woman. He took her for himself, and then he had her husband murdered. Man, not good shepherds. When Nathan even confronted him, he used an imagery of shepherding. Nathan said to David, he came to him and said to him, There were two men on a certain city, and the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. He used the same illustration of shepherding. You took this one ewe lamb from this man when you had all these flocks. Not good 
shepherds. So at least as the kings begin, things aren't great. But if you read the rest of your Bible, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you realize that's the story of both Israel and Judah. Really disappointing shepherds, one right after another. Even if you had a moment where you're like, hey, this guy's looking pretty good, you keep reading and something's going to disappoint you. One of my favorites toward the end of the story of the kings was a king named Hezekiah. If you've read the story of Hezekiah, you know Hezekiah did some really cool stuff. The Hezekiah's reforms might be a phrase that comes to mind. Hezekiah cleansed the temple after the vile practices of his father. Yes, go Hezekiah. Hezekiah restored temple practices. They had so uh, deteriorated that they weren't even being practiced anymore. He reinstituted Passover. He organized the priests. Man, Hezekiah is killing it. He led Jerusalem through the attacks of Sennacherib and his armies. Hezekiah is killing it. And then he got really sick. You know the story? He got really sick. Apparently boils was a big problem then. You know, things that, that we are, are very treatable now. Infections, they didn't have a way to entreat that. I guess they didn't have antibiotics. So this guy's dying of a boil that wouldn't heal. Ugh, it sounds pretty nasty. But he's like literally dying. And he prays to the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, I'm going to give you 15 more years. And he gave him instructions of taking a fig cake and putting a fig cake on the boil, and it healed him. I don't know what it is about fig cakes, but that's what he used. And this guy's healed, and he actually gets another 15 years out of the deal. And that's pretty exciting. But then he has a, an envoy from Babylon visit him. Okay, this guy who served so well for most of his reign has an envoy from Babylon, and in his pride, he takes this envoy into the storehouses and shows them all the riches of Judah. And actually, here's, how, here's what follows after that as a consequence of that. In 2 Kings chapter 20, beginning in verse 16, Isaiah, a prophet during that time, a prophet said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord, listen to this kind of shepherding. Just take this in for a moment. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. He's speaking forward to the Babylonian exile. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons, okay, Hezekiah, some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Let that hit you for a minute. Man, you would hope that a good shepherd would really just be wiped out by that piece of information. You moved in pride. This envoy from Babylon came to Judah, and you showed him all the, store, all the storehouses, all the riches of Judah, in pride, saying, look at what we've got. And here's the consequences. Your sons are going to be eunuchs in the king's court in Babylon. What? That's tragic. You would think a good shepherd would just be wiped out by that. And here's what Hezekiah says. Hezekiah says to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. What? For he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? <laughs> what? Your sons are going to be ripped out of Judah and taken to Babylon and made eunuchs in the king's court. And you're like, this is good news? Long as there's peace in my day. <laughs> What a bunch of disappointing shepherds. Not good shepherds. 
Ezekiel 34 and verse 10, he says, I am against the shepherds of Israel. They've proven start to finish to be weak sauce. They've proven as a rule to fail the people of God, one right after another. And things weren't any different in the time of Jesus. Now turn to John chapter 9. I have a story to share with you. And I'll just tell you, it's my favorite story in the Bible. My favorite story. And maybe apart from Jesus, my favorite Bible character. I love this guy with everything in me. I can't wait to meet him. Okay. As I share this story, I want you to look for shepherding. I want you to look for the kind of shepherding and treatment that this little blind sheep receives. Okay? We're going to import this thought. And you might think that, let me kind of help you with this thought. For John, what happens in, in, in chapter 9 of his book is connected to what he says, to what God the Son declares in chapter 10. And what happens in chapter 9 illustrates what he explains in chapter 10. I couldn't preach John chapter 10 this morning without reading John chapter 9. Okay, so look for the shepherding as we just consider just a wonderful story. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was common in ancient times to believe that sin, uh, that a disability was a result of sin. It was something you'd done. I mean, you could trace it all the way back to original sin, but they connected it closer, like mom and dad did something wrong, or this child somehow did something wrong. So they were asking the question, what sin, who sinned that this child would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. A little connection to his declaration in the chapter before. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. A little recreative work there. Taking the earth and reforming it and recreating this man's sighted. Before we even really consider the application or the beauty of that connection to this declaration, can you just appreciate for a moment what it might be like to be blind? Can you think for a moment what it must have been like to have Jesus open his eyes? Having spent a lifetime in darkness, the light of the world opens his eyes in a recreative work. Can we enjoy this moment with this man and this Lord just for a moment before we even really get into it? A life of blindness, a life of darkness, and then in a moment, Recreated, sighted, and seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? See, that's what happened when you had some sort of disability. 
you became a fixture at the gate. You became a familiar fixture that people passed by every single day because that became your job. They didn't have Braille. They didn't have little walking canes that are red and white, a little rolling knob on the end. They didn't have the things that would help people with disabilities work now. So their work became begging. Is this not the same guy that's been begging for however many years at this point, his whole lifetime? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he's like him. (laughs) He's similar, like he's a doppelganger. He kept saying, no, I'm the man. I'm that guy. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Man, just take in for a moment the excitement of this event. Can you imagine the stir where a fixture A blind fixture is now seeing and declaring, no, I'm the same guy. We're not talking about somebody that had a bad back and is somehow healed. Yeah, ooh, my back back feels good, this invisible thing. We're talking about something, this guy's blind. Lifetime of begging, and now he's saying, no, I'm the man. I'm that guy. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. They bring to the shepherds of Israel the current shepherds of Israel that were being celebrated during Hanukkah. I told you Hanukkah was a contemporary, sort of a modern celebration. Hanukkah is a product of something happened about a couple, 150, 160 years before Christ. Okay, a Seleucid ruler came in and went into the temple and did all kind of vulgar things in the temple. Brought his own pagan worship into the temple. He took pig fat and slung it all over the interior of the temple. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. They call him Epimenes because that meant crazy. This guy was like a loony bird. And he did the most vile things to Israel. And there was a group of priests that rose up against him. Judas Maccabeus at the lead. He, they called him the hammer. I'm still waiting for the movie, man. I like the sound of the guy, the hammer. They were in some remote village, and they were, actually, they were practicing some sort of pagan ritual. And he took a knife, and he killed the guy, their priest. And he started a revolution. And this celebration, the Feast of Lights, Hanukkah, is a time where they cleansed the temple. And they celebrated the Pharisees because the Pharisees came from Judas Maccabeus. This is the time where these guys were the heroes. That's the moment where he stands in there. He declares, I'm the good shepherd. Not the shepherds of Israel in in Ezekiel 34. And not even the militant shepherds you celebrate right now, the Pharisees. I'm the singular good shepherd. Let's go back to our story. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there's a division among them. There it is yet again. Yet another division. So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Let's see what unfolds next. 
the Jewish leaders are added in. First, we've got Pharisees, and now we're going to add in the Sadducees, and we're going to add in the rulers at the synagogues and the temple. We're going to widen the circle to question this guy. We're going to get to the bottom of this, this crime of a blind man healed. So the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son. He's not a doppelganger, not a lookalike, and that he was in fact born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Listen to this. His parents, his own parents did not account for him well here. And this is why. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They feared harsh, mean Weak sauce, shepherds. They feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for a second time, they called the man who had been blind, and he said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, this man who healed you. We know he's a sinner, and he answered whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Don't you like a smart aleck? That's what I enjoy, but the Lord loves smart alecks too. (laughs) I love this guy. I can't speak about his state of sinfulness or, or not, but I can sure say that I used to be blind, and now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? It gets even better. He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? (laughs) Oh, you got to love this guy. And they reviled him. You can imagine they're incensed by him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This blind beggar is now a sighted preacher. He just shared a little sermon with the Jews, the Sadducees and Pharisees, and they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Not good shepherds. Still not good shepherds. Man, y'all have done a good thing in sticking with me to this point. But it just gets better if you can hang in there for this connection. Where I left off in Ezekiel 34, it says, I am against the shepherds. You've been poor, disappointing shepherds start to finish. You've eaten the fat. You've clothed yourselves. You haven't fed the sheep. You haven't bound up the, the lame. He picks up and continues In Exodus chapter 11, listen to this. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. The shepherds of Israel have not done it. The shepherds of Israel have not been good shepherds. So guess what? I'm going to do it myself. I'll seek out the lost sheep. As a, sheep, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. You have failed relentlessly. Weak saw shepherds, one right after another. So I will do it myself. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Y'all, when, when Jesus shows up at the festival of Hanukkah and he declares, I am the good shepherd, this is God showing up and doing what he promised he would do. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it myself. I will fulfill this thing. It continues on in Exodus 34, 22. He says, I will rescue my flock. It's interesting, the chapter ends with him saying, I'm going to do it with David. David's been dead 400 years. He's referring to the son of David, who is the person of Christ that's shown up in this moment and declared, I am the good shepherd. He's showing up to do what he promised he would do. I love how this story with this blind man ends. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Notice who finds who. Uh, isn't that good? Who finds who? Having been cast out, this sheep is found by the good shepherd. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, <laughs> right? Seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is God showing up and doing precisely what he said he would do. Binding up the sick, healing the lame. He's doing what only the good, noble, and beautiful shepherd could do. How the sheep need this shepherd, don't we? How we need this good shepherd. Once blind and lost, now he worships. Now he sees. 
I found that sheep actually named their sheep, or shepherds named their sheep according to what they do. If they jump around, they call them jumpy. If they roll around, they're rolly. If they're fluffy, they're fluffy. It's fluffy. If one seems to find a mud hole, he's muddy. One that doesn't clean himself is stinky. You know, they all have their, like, uh, Y at the end of it, whatever they are. I thought about the, what would really be cool is this, this special name for this blind man now seeing Smarty, <laughs> Smart Elecky. I don't know what he would be, but there's a fondness that you see unfolding in this good shepherd. There's a contrast between shepherds in that chapter. That's why I read every bit of it. You see the poor shepherds of Israel, and you see the good shepherd tenderly, tenderly finding healing and binding up and drawing in so that he worships this shepherd. He accomplished what no other shepherd and leader could accomplish, a saving knowledge of God. That's when he says that you will know me. I will know you and you will know me like I know the Father and the Father knows me. A saving knowledge of God. Only the good shepherd could accomplish that. What a wonderful shepherd and a wonderful leader. I really have two application points, and they take about 10 seconds apiece. And they're, they're not simple in the sense that you just say, oh, that's easy. They take work and effort to bring your head and your mind and your heart around these things. And here's the first. Love and enjoy this good shepherd. He's worthy. He's noble. He's beautiful. He's singular. This morning, if you've done that in these last few minutes, you've worshiped. If you do that on Tuesday afternoon as you're sitting in your cubicle or driving in your car or Wednesday morning as you're shaving or putting on makeup, there's a word for that. It's called worship. Enjoy that good shepherd who knows you. Whatever name he might give you. Stinky. Fluffy. Funny. Distracted. <laughs> I mean, what, what might he give you? But he knows you like a shepherd knows his sheep. Man, when you think of that during the week and you enjoy that as a family over a meal, talking about this shepherd, eating a meal together, praying, thanking him for his provision, there's a word for that. It's called worship. And the second thing, let this good shepherd be your model and your means in serving and leading and loving others. And we are faithful shepherds in all the various roles that you shepherd and lead, only in so much as we lead in and through and like Christ. Man, in and through and like Christ. Let's pray. God, what a good, good, beautiful window into the kind of Lord that we have in Christ. First of all, Lord, we need a good shepherd. We jump off cliffs. We lead others to do the same. Lord, we need a shepherd that is on, um, on the job. We need a shepherd that is vigilant and awake. We need a shepherd that never ceases and, never is, and is never distracted. One that knows us in each of our own little quirks. And Lord, we have that in spades in the person of Christ. We enjoy him this morning. We are thankful for his shepherding, his singular shepherding. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. For our supper this morning, I'll share a passage from Ezekiel.
from 34, where we were this morning, and it's one that you may have missed. Um, one of the things that I didn't really bring out during the sermon, but it's a fitting place to bring it out now. The pieces of bread in that, where he says, I am the good shepherd, I lay my life down for the sheep. Both of those are present tense. I lay my life down for, my, for the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep, it says in verse 11. Present tense. Can y'all just consider for a moment that our Lord is not just one point in time, just when he took on flesh 2,000 years ago and when he went to a cross. It's not the only time he's laid his life down for you, but he is laying his life down for you even now. We're talking about a living person we're enjoying this morning. We're not talking about a bunch of ideas. We're not talking about a bunch of static thoughts and ideas and truths that are all over here. We're talking about a living being that we've enjoyed in the last few minutes who continues to mediate for you, continues to lay his life down for you, present tense. Man, what a great Lord, a living Lord, only a living shepherd who lays his life down and can take it up again can do such a thing. All other shepherds are dead, right? But not this shepherd. He lives and he lays his life down for us, giving all for us. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23, in the ESV, says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. There's there's a, a word that's, that's, that's not really brought out in the ESV that's brought out in the New American Standard, and it's just so fitting for our supper. I'm going to read the New American Standard because I think it nicely brings it out. It says, Then I will appoint over them one shepherd, my servant David. Of course, David's been dead 400 years. We're speaking about the son of David, the son of man. And he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Okay, there's two meanings there, right? He will feed them himself, as in I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it. God's going to show up and do it. I, as in God. But he will feed them. Himself. Literally laying every bit of it down, broken flesh and all. He will feed them himself in faith if you're trusting christ as savior and lord take and eat with me in faith enjoying this good shepherd who lays present tense his life down for the sheep let's take and drink in faith let me pray we'll continue in song Lord, we are so thankful for your provision for us of this hearty meal. Like a good shepherd tending to his flock, you continue to guide us and um, direct us into full green pastures. And we count the bread and the cup of your body and blood green pastures, ample nourishment, Lord. We count it sufficient. We are thankful that you have fed us yourself and that you've given us yourself to eat. We enjoy this, especially this morning. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all stand and let's continue in worship.